0: Good morning, Woodside. How are you today? Very good. It's so great to see you all. If you want to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, that is where we will be. If you join us online, man, thanks for joining us. We're so excited you're here to worship with us as well. And uh, man, we are going to have some fun this morning. I hope you had a good week. Did you have a good week this week? Okay, good. Me and three other people is good enough for me. I'm having a great week, and um, my wife and I potentially bought a home after 11 months of not owning a home. (laughs) Potentially, so we uh, are—we did. Just the rest of is unfinished, and um, the process of it all. But we are excited. Uh, Man, it's been an amazing year. But uh, God has great things for us, and now all the people that thought I was leaving the church can stop because now I'm buying a house again. And uh, I'm just kidding. But I'm excited to open up God's Word with you in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 as we finish our series. For the last number of weeks, I wasn't here for a number of them. you were here if you've been around, we've been walking through Ecclesiastes, looking at all kinds of isms, all these different places that the writer, he calls himself the preacher, he is Solomon, most believe as he is looking at different places to find his fulfillment, and he's portraying all of these things as he looked at naturalism and individualism and all these other isms, and today we get to look at one of these beautiful and amazing isms called nihilism. Anybody know what that means, smart people? I had to look it up myself. It's fine. Nihilism, it is the rejection of all moral and religious um, practicality, essentially meaning the belief that life is meaningless. There's no meaning to life. Just live it up here. Do your thing because really there's no point or purpose or meaning in life. That is nihilism. So if I asked you this morning, all of you here, maybe if you're online as well, how many of you here would say, man, that is a great belief system and that's where I'm at today? Anybody? Come on, I want to just bring you up here as a practical example. (laughs) Nobody? Okay that's fine. Life is meaningless. And honestly, there might be, I don't want to make light of it, there might be someone here today, that someone invited you to church today, or you're joining us online, and really that's where you land, but you would be fearful to actually share that publicly in a place that this, where we believe wholeheartedly that our meaning and purpose comes from God, it's intrinsic from God, and we find it in Christ, right? Amen. So most people would say, no, I reject that thought, I don't believe that at all, to which now as a good pastor, I want to press on you a little bit. You might say, I reject that and I don't believe that, so I want to ask you before we dive into Ecclesiastes chapter chapter 12, you say with your mouth you don't believe that, but can I ask you, do you live in light of that or do you live like you believe it? Because we say we believe a lot of things, but I've said this to you many times over the years that I've been a pastor here, what you believe is not what you say, believe is what you do. What you believe truly in your own heart and soul is how you live, how your actions flush out. So I ask you again, do you believe that life is meaningless? And then I press a little bit again to say, yeah, you may say you don't believe that life is meaningless, but while we look at the text today, I want you to ponder for this morning, just the time we have, whether or not you're living as though you believe it. Because, man, there are moments in life when we live in this light, like solomon is writing ecclesiastes and we give our heart and soul into those things we get to these moments where we might not say it out loud but we believe in our own heart is this all there is to life it kind of seems meaningless and man in those moments we are in our own heart and soul. i think there's more going on in us because here's the thing we don't live in a world that we were made for do you know that This is not your home. You weren't made for this place the way that it is. We were made for life in the garden with God. In beautiful creation, in beautiful communion with God, satisfaction being found in God as we walk with him day in and day out, that's the way we were created. We were meant for more. And the world that we live in is profoundly broken and sinful, and I don't need to give you any examples of that. But our souls are crying out many times for an unbroken world where life is as it is meant to be, where we are fully in communion with God, enjoying Him forever. And this is essentially the cry of all of Ecclesiastes. As it comes to an end, we've been looking for five weeks. A series was called Smoke and Mirrors. We've looked at the preacher, Solomon, as he writes, and he looked at many different places to find fulfillment. You do a quick recap. and This is, this is what he did. He hoped he could leave a lasting mark on this world only to, lead, only to learn Excuse me, that God is the only true creator. And he, he, he hoped he would find joy and power and knowledge, but he only found vexation. He hoped he could satisfy himself with hedonism and self-indulgence, but he found that every buzz... Had a hangover. Then he corrected to wise living, but found that both the wisdom and the or the wise and the foolish suffer the same ultimate fate, and that is. Death. And having been turned back to the pursuit of wise living, he looked in yet one more place, seeking to find satisfaction, and it was the accumulation of things to satisfy his soul. But he found, as we talked about last week, though he was extremely rich and he had everything his heart desired, at the end of the day, his appetite could not be quenched. says it's all vanity, all of this pursuit, as he says, is chasing the wind delivers over to one final question as we skip to the end of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12, and it's this. Does anything truly matter? And is there any meaning in this life? Does anything really matter? And that's the first thing we're going to look at this morning. And is there any meaning in life? And you might say, yeah, I, I totally, we could list off these Christianese things real quick, but let's just, Press in for a moment. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. It'll be on the screen, or if you have something we used to call a Bible as pages, you can open that as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, let's look at it. Is there meaning to life? He says this, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. I'm so glad that it's family Sunday. We have the youth in here. It's awesome, isn't it? I want to remind them today, remember also, God, your creator, in the days of your youth, we'll come back to that, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no more pleasure in them. Anybody there? Hopefully not. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain... In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the streets are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, the desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Verse 6, before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Meant what an encouraging word for us today. I don't even think I need to say anything. Let's just read it, pray, and go home. All is vanity. There's nothing left. There's no meaning. Life. And it's interesting, when you get into the passage, there's a lot of, uh, of poetry in the language. But man, this is the, the preacher's uh, conclusion of Ecclesiastes in this message, and it's kind of a grim message. To so sum it up briefly, uh, Solomon is saying here, through a lot of poetic and metaphorical language to communicate one simple idea, he's saying this, you're going to die, so what's the point? Amen and Amen. You're going to die, so what's the point? So let's just break down some of the poetic language and understand some of what he's saying here. So the preacher's metaphors paint this picture of an approaching doom, and he first points to kind of the heavens when he says, man, the lights grow dim and rain comes and the clouds still remain even after the rain and the dark season approaches. He's talking about as life comes to an end. From the skies, the picture zooms into these tr- troubling, kind of decaying household, if you will. He says the keepers of the house, those who would have been meant to protect it, are trembling in fear. He says the strong lords of the house are bent over. Anybody feel like that sometime? Oh, hurt to get out of bed this morning. The women who work at grinding have given up. The, the wealthy women of the house who could have spent their days gazing out their windows see no more. The house is shut, and the sounds of the street are deadened. the sounds of the animals are, are startling, the, are, are startle the fear, the fearful, excuse me. And, and here, this, this, argues, uh, this argument of Solomon is that this picture uh, of, is what is in store, really, for every person. This is what he's saying. This is the picture of what is in store for every person as it comes to the end of their life. A cloud will fall over every youth as age does its job. And takes us to the end of life. And the metaphors in verse 5 kind of turn more clearly to these pictures of old age. Streets and hills that once invited adventure now seem terrifying. Anybody feel like that today? And you still enjoy going to the gym. And now when I go to the gym the next morning I can barely walk. It's just, and I'm 38, I'm like sweet mercy. When I'm 70, what is life going to feel like? If anybody wants to witness or give a prophetic word this morning, let me know and come tell me. He says, hair is gray and joints give out. This is the end of things. Then comes the ends. And all these metaphors give way to the images of death in verses 6 and 7. All of this gives to this final proclamation, really encouraging word from Ecclesiastes today that. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Now, what's beautiful is in that image right there is a picture of Genesis. remember what God did? He, he took dust from the earth, and he formed man from it. And out of that, he breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living creature, right? And what he's saying is then at the end of your life, it all goes back. Your body goes back to the earth as dust and your spirit goes back to God where it came from. And he's portraying this end of life here and he says, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All of it is vanity. Again, he comes back to the same thing. You're going to die and what is the point? Is there any meaning in life? It's in all of his joy, all the things that he had, all of the stuff we've been talking about for the last number of weeks and self-indulgence and wisdom and knowledge and power and stuff all of it comes to an end because all of us will be in the same place one day standing before a holy God. All of his joy is overshadowed by this specter of death. And it's interesting, isn't it true, like, men, as you get older, I'm only 38 at the moment, as you get older, you begin to get perspective of what really matters. It's amazing for me, I have the last couple months as I was off spending a ton of time with my family, I was getting a lot more perspective of what really matters in the busyness of things that I do all the time. Some things that are personal things that I enjoy doing, some things are ministry and other things are just things that keep us busy and you get a little perspective that man, I'm 38 and the years that I had with my oldest, she's 13, those years went by like that. I got like six, seven, eight more with her maybe and then she's moving on with her own life. Man, what does really matter in life? All these things that I'm busy, crazy doing, or is it these things that God has put into my life for this time and this moment? And what do we do in the face of such meaningless that he lays out? Like, man, is it just, we just, just set down in that and live in that? And here's where we return to, to the broader picture of Ecclesiastes, In our passage, back in Ecclesiastes 11, verses 7 to 10, you can look at it later, write it down. This preacher, Solomon, encourages anyone who is young to put away worry and enjoy their life. Enjoy what God has blessed them with. Now, that's all great and good. That's kind of what I came to conclusion with, even on my sabbatical. Some things is just enjoying what God has given me for the moment, not being caught up in all the crazy things of life. And that's great. That advice is fine, but there's still a problem in the future. How are any of us going to have hope if we're just all destined to die? How do we find hope in verse 1? Well, it says there, this is where we find our hope. Look in verse 1 with me again. It says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. He's saying there is joy in God today. Our creator God is created us to actually enjoy him. Can I just ask you this morning, do you tolerate God? Do you kind of do life with God? Do you kind of like occasionally walk with God? Do you come to church once a week and kind of hear about God? Or do you enjoy God? Man, one of the major things God's pressed on my heart for the last couple of months is man, I do a lot of stuff for God. But do I just enjoy being with God? Sitting before God, hearing from God, enjoying Him. Because God wasn't just meant to serve and do things for and do all the right stuff so God is supposedly happy with me. No, God was meant to be enjoyed, to walk with in the cool of the day. That's what He created us for. That meant from the beginning, this is what it is. Kids, I am so glad you're with us today. Young people, this verse right here, this passage is specifically directed to you. Did you know you were made to worship God and enjoy him forever? You were made for that. This is what God made us to do. If I can be kind of trite, the same way your dog is happiest when he's chasing a squirrel, the same way your cat enjoys life to the fullest when it's just sunbathing, lounging in the sun, even though it's made from the devil? (laughs) The same way, you will be happiest when you're worshiping, enjoying God. Life will be most complete when you are worshiping God with your life and enjoying Him forever. One of this passages that I like to kind of poke at has some depth and some true meaning. Man, you talk about it like, man, how can we find hope that there's this impending thing over all of us one day and it's called death and we all have to come to deal with it? There's this verse, again, that we love to quote, we love to put on t shirts and mugs and all the Christian stuff. You'd know it really well. It's in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. And it's this man, we quoted in all these times and seasons of life For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Amen? Well, is death gain to you? Death is gain to us when we enjoy God above all else. That I know when I'm leaving this place, I will be with God forever. So much so that the Apostle Paul said, man, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Man, I want to stay here with you because it's for your benefit, but really I just want to be with Jesus. Can I tell you today, heaven is not heaven because hell is not there. Heaven is heaven because God is there. Heaven is heaven because we get to be with Jesus, the most satisfying thing we were ever made to find in God. Hell is not hell Because it's not heaven. Hell is hell because it's the absence of God forever, the thing that would give us the most satisfaction in life. You enjoy God. And this is how God made us to be. But as you remember from the gospel icons, young people, right? There's this beautiful picture through the gospel icons, right? It starts with, we sinned. we got a big problem on our hands and our sin separates us from god which means it separates us from that which makes us the happiest but i love in ephesians chapter 2 it says but god he loves us so much he didn't leave us alone to be apart from him forever no like the gospel icons say god what provided right he provided and jesus gave Jesus came after us with his life to have relationship with again. He connected us to the person, God, who will make us the happiest. And he came to show us how great God loves us. And our job as the gospel icon's end is to respond. To respond. Man, we respond by trusting Jesus. If you've never given your life to Christ, if you're watching online or if you're here, trusting Jesus' death to pay the consequences of our sin so that we can begin to enjoy him and be with him for all of eternity. But responding means to choose to follow Jesus. There's a lot of people within Christendom today, you've trusted in Jesus, but you're lacking following Jesus. Walking with Jesus every day. We respond by thanking God every day for how much he loves us. And I can tell you, when it really begins to sink 10 to 15 inches from our head to our heart that we realize that we deserved to die separated from God with no hope, but Jesus loved us anyways, it gives us back the happiness we were meant to have, and life finds profound purpose and meaning. Profound purpose and meaning. But it's one thing to have a mental assent Yes, God loves me, and I had no hope. Yes, that's great all at the end of the day. Until it sinks deep into our heart and our soul, this big idea for us today, that God is life. There's no life outside of him. All of it, like Ecclesiastes says, is meaningless and vanity. God is life. That's our big idea today. Because of Jesus, we can begin to experience life today in him. Because of Jesus, we have hope of life after Death and forevermore, and then God will bring everything under His judgment. That's what we see next as you look. And you might be like, "Well, wow, that's overwhelming," but it actually, there's great hope in it. Look what it says. Let's look as we look. God brings everything under His judgment. Verse nine. Besides being wise, as he lists off all these things, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly. He wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like uh, goats and like nails firmly fixed, are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd, he says my son be aware of anything beyond these of making many books there is no end and much study is weariness of the flesh and then he ends the last verse two verses of Ecclesiastes kind of put a bow on all that he's writing he says the end of the matter is this everything is vanity everything's vexation everything's chasing the wind but here's the end of the matter the end of the matter is this all has been heard fear god and keep his command For God will bring every deed unto judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. See, Ecclesiastes ends, it speaks of this diligent searching and work that the preacher Solomon did, and then it moves to the big finish, the cliff notes, if you will, of Ecclesiastes, fear God and keep his commandments. That's it. He sums it up. In six English words, fear God and keep his commandments because outside of this, everything is vanity. I love the way one commentator wrote. He said this, For us, the meaninglessness of life, which the teacher so ruthlessly exposes, would seem to lead to despair and nihilism. For him, it is an incitement to true piety The insignificance of all that is done under the sun leaves him awestruck and silent before God. His inability to control or predict the future provokes him to dependence on God, and the futility of attempting to secure his future through wisdom and acts of religion leads him not to impiety, but to an understanding of the true nature of obedient trust and following God. That the fact that everything else in life is meaning should point us to the meaning and the beauty of God in the gospel. He explains it with two justifications where he says, for the whole duty of man. And then he says, for God will bring every deed into judgment. You see, for where God, we were made actually to fear God and keep his commandments. You were made for that. I was made for that. But the order of the points is super Significant. He didn't say, keep God's commandments and fear God. He said, fear God and keep his commandments. You see, conduct derives worship and knowledge of God leads to obedience, not vice versa. You understand what I mean by that? It's like, it's, it's amazing. For the last number of, uh, for a while, I've been reading through the gospel of John, just loving it. And in, in John chapter 14, Jesus says the exact same thing. As a wisdom teacher, he says this. This is what we're called to do. He says, man, if you love me, what? You'll keep my commandments. Does this sound familiar? If you love me, You'll keep my commandments. Can I tell you, the order is significant. It can't be the other way around. He doesn't say, if you keep my commandments, I'll love you, and you'll love me. No, he says, if you love me, when you have a deep, beautiful, profound relationship with me, you'll keep my commandments naturally because you love me. Man, so many of us, even though we would say it with our mouth, are finding meaninglessness to what we do here as the body of Christ because we're trying to make God love us by obeying him. Can I tell you, when you were at your worst, when you were at your worst, maybe that's right now, God loved you more than you can ever imagine. And nothing you say, do, or don't do will change how much God loves you. And I know we believe that, we say that, but at the end of the day, we need to allow it to sink into our heart and soul. Love God and keep his commandments, not keep his commandments to gain the love of God. To have God change his view of me. In your life, man, choose to follow God and find joy in him forever. Choose to seek joy rather than grabbing at the things of this world. I love Second Corinthians. We don't have much time. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. There's this beautiful, amazing passage that talks about us in Christ, as he says that we're behold, new creations in Christ Jesus. He says this in verse 17 of chapter. Five of 2 Corinthians, I'll read it. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, amen? The old one, the old has passed away, excuse me, behold, the new has come, All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, including us, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting them the message of reconciliation. And in verse 20 of chapter 5, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. In verse 21, for our sake, he made him Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's, that's to me motivation and joy to find meaning. That, you know that, that passage at the end where he closes out Ecclesiastes and he says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Can I get an amen, man? Thanks be to God that every evil thing that I've done in this world is covered by the blood of Jesus because I've placed my faith and trust in him. Even in my worst days. All that I've done, past, present, and future, is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ because I've pushed all in and placed my faith and trust in him. Every deed, yes, will be, uh, will be accounted for, but can I tell you it's amazing that my deeds will be looked down and he won't see dirty, messed up, broken, um, unable to follow Jesus' Jim. He will see Jesus who lived perfectly and paid all of my sins. To me, this gives me hope and joy and meaning for the impending death that he speaks about. Can I just tell you and compel you? mean your time and your talent and your treasure and all your assets will, it, will one day have an expiration date. But there's a reality beyond that expiration date. There is an eternity with God to enjoy him forever. And that starts now. And you can spend, try to spend all of your resources and your time on this present joy, but there is an eternal joy put before us in Christ. Live into that joy and enjoy it now. Man, God didn't save you so that one day you can, man, I can't wait to be with Jesus one day. You can be with Jesus today. You can live with Jesus today. You can walk with Jesus today. Man, living into the eternal joy means thanking thanking excuse me God for his extreme generosity in Jesus for you because Jesus paid our penalties that I will not be judged on my own doing but on the righteousness of God no matter what I've done if I've accepted the payment of Jesus for my sins living into eternal joy means that doing the things that God values remember loving God and keeping his commandments. What does that look like for you? Like, what are you living for in life right now? What are, you, what are you chasing after in life right now? Are you loving and enjoying God and keeping his commandments to the best of your ability by the powerment, empowerment of the Holy Spirit? Maybe today is a day that you need to, like, just go before the Lord and say, no, Lord, I've been chasing after all kinds of things. Because in such living, chasing after God, we break through the meaninglessness of the present world we're living in and and gaze upon the beauty of Christ that is hidden behind this veil of this world and what truly brings us meaning in life and today. My hope and my prayer for you today is to seize today the eternal joy that is in Christ Jesus. That is where true meaning and joy and purpose is found. And today, if you're with us, and you don't know what that means, today, I want to compel you to place your faith and trust in the living hope that we have in Christ Jesus. If you join us online, the same. But for many of us today, are you, as I said at the beginning, you might say, no, I, don't, I, I reject nihilism, I believe there is meaning and purpose in life. Can I just press on you again? How are you living in light of that? Are you living as though there is only one meaning in life? Get all you can while you're here on earth. Are you living in light of one day we're all going to exit this earth and on to eternity and that is where true meaning and purpose and joy is found in Christ. Are you living in light of that or the opposite? Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thanks for all you're doing in our hearts and our lives and our souls. Thank you for the the beauty of time together to open your words, sing your praises, set our affections on you once again. God, thank you for the kids being able to be in here and worshiping with us. Thank you for what they show us, Lord. Man, I, 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 I can't find a better example of young people, the faith of a child, finding joy and purpose, even in my, my youngest daughter seeing the joy of wanting to follow Jesus and get baptized tonight. Allow that to bleed into our heart and our soul, Lord. That there is meaning and purpose and there is ultimate joy and enjoyment in you, Lord. Help us to sing and worship in this place like we actually enjoy you. Help us to live six days a week in the world that you've placed. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org/connect to introduce yourself today.